Hello, welcome to Open Book in History. A weekly podcast that offers a space to discuss life events and the power of the books that will enable us to open up our minds and inspire the future. I'm your host, Omar, and this is your co-host, Elisa. Hello, Sarah. Hi, Omar. Welcome to our podcast. Thank uh, you for having me. Yeah, so um, today, of course, with uh, Risa, we're going to talk our podcast where we usually receive different people, as you've heard in the introduction, uh, that we talk about different life and, and, and different books of people whom we host on this podcast. Risa? Thank you, Sarah, for joining us today. We appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So our podcast today is to, um, our aim is to kind of get to know you. And I understand that you're a teacher. And so we'd like to hear a little bit about your experience um, with teaching and then um, dive into your experience in Rwanda. So would you like to tell us um, a little bit about yourself? Yeah, of course. My name is Sarah Etzel, and I teach ESOL, which means I teach English to speakers of other languages. And I work with pre-kindergartners and kindergartners, so very young students. Um, And this is actually my first year as a teacher. I just graduated college where I studied psychology um, and human rights with a focus in conflict resolution. Um, And that's what led me to study in Rwanda in the first place and how I ended up interning with Omar and working um, in the youth engagement department of the NGO Never Again Rwanda. Um, And so through those experiences, I became interested in education and that led me to pursue um, teaching. So it's very interconnected, my experience in Rwanda and my current job teaching English. Oh, wow. Thank you. Um, so do you have to know another language to teach English to others? No, interestingly enough, um, you only need to know English, which I found very surprising when I first started this job. Um, the majority of my students speak Spanish, and one of my colleagues is fluent in Spanish, and so she is able to communicate a lot more with the families um, and with the students if there's something they're really not understanding. Mm-hmm. But the, the goal um, of ESOL instruction is to be able to unpack English in various ways. So you're not supposed to utilize the other language a great deal in instruction. So it's not a job requirement, um, although it does make it a lot easier. So I wish I was fluent in multiple languages. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good to, to know that... Uh... Uh, you, you you teach English, and then I guess uh, um, I was wondering, like, are, are these children speak English in their homes, and then you teach them English? But I can understand why you say what you mean. Uh, so you say you are teaching English, and uh, you are a teacher. Of course, you mentioned uh, you, what you did in university. Do you want to share more about that? Where do you teach, and then where you went to university? Yeah, of course. So I'm I'm actually in a program called Teach for America, which is part of AmeriCorps. Um, and so it's a two-year program where essentially you don't 
need to have any experience going in um, and then they train you how to be a teacher and provide coaching and support. So I was not an education major and I didn't do any sort of student teaching. Um, I received an accelerated course this summer um, and then I have coaching support while I'm teaching. Um, so I currently teach, my placement area is in Baltimore, Maryland, um, and I was assigned to that city through TFA because it's, um, it's somewhere that has had teacher shortages in the past. So the TFA network mm -hmm. is very strong there. Um, so it was a way, Teach for America was an organization I was drawn to because its mission is education equity um, and bringing education access to all areas in America. We want to know where you went to university so that people can locate you, uh, you know, where you went to go into college or to university, if you want, and then where you teach, you, I think you mentioned that. Yes, yeah, so I mentioned I teach in Baltimore, um, and I went to Mount Holyoke College, which is in Western Massachusetts. Um, and there I studied mm -hmm. psychology. I think I mentioned earlier. It was actually my psychology major that led me to study abroad in Rwanda because um, given the history and the genocide, there was um, a great deal of mm -hmm. PTSD um, and psychological disorders associated with trauma. Mm -hmm. um, and so I wanted mm -hmm. to learn more about the healing process um, mm -hmm. following the genocide. And so the study abroad program I did was through the School for International Training. Um, and that mm -hmm. program focused on post-genocide restoration and peace building. So um, when it was time to study abroad, okay. that program really stood out to me. Uh, so what, what year did you go to Rwanda? So I studied abroad in the fall of 2018. Um, and then I returned the summer of 2019 for an internship. Oh, so you're there for like a good, good long time, right then? Yes. Yeah. I was there for four months in the fall and then an additional two and a half in the summer. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Um, and so you knew Omar the whole time you were there. He's, um, or how do you guys, how are you connected then? So I um, met Omar when I was interning at Never Again Rwanda. Um, and so mm -hmm. during my study abroad program, we had the opportunity to work with many NGOs. And so we did a workshop at Never Again Rwanda. And so I, stayed connected to um, Debbie, who is another person who worked there, and emailed her um, once I was searching for an internship for the summer. And so then I, I worked there over the summer and I worked in the youth engagement department um, with Omar. Yeah, oh, at the time, oh, oh, no youth engagement program, which was under my coordination and the, and uh, on the, you did a very fantastic job. What, what was uh, what was your uh, your experience then in working there? Uh, I remember you worked with the youth. What was your experience with the youth? Do you have some stories to share or some things related to the, to to the time you worked there? Then? Yeah. So I think that experience was probably one of the most impactful 
that I've had in my life. Um, and it definitely made me interested in education and pursuing mm -hmm. a future in peace-based education specifically. Um, I remember uh, one of the events that we worked on together was, um, I'm forgetting the name. Uh, what, what was it about? The, the it, was the, it was the Informa Arts Group. Um, it's like mm -hmm. peace building through art. Mm -hmm. So, oh, that's cool. yeah, so that event was really incredible. It was um, this student group that did um, art and entrepreneurship as a way to foster peace and unity. Mm -hmm. um, and so Omar hosted a panel of student leaders or youth leaders who were mm -hmm. entrepreneurs and artists. You mentioned that uh, there is an event uh, uh, you mentioned that you experienced in working with youth in Rwanda changed your life. <laughs> yeah, uh, just to freely share that and the, the event, um, you know that the event was, you know, if, if you wanna talk about your experience uh, with the youth in Rwanda and how uh, the experience was. Yeah, definitely. So I think overall. Um, the work that we did in the youth engagement department, I remember we did the, the event that I just mentioned with art and entrepreneurship as a way to foster peace building. And then we also did site visits to various clubs that were affiliated with Never Again Rwanda. And I think that those were very inspirational too, because it was really inspiring to see how young people like high schoolers and middle schoolers even were so driven to work for these larger goals of unity and reconciliation. Mm -hmm. And I remember mm -hmm. at one of the, the site visits we did, um, one of the, the youth clubs, they were talking about an incident that they'd had with hate speech at their school and how their club mm -hmm. leadership had really taken a stand against that. And it wasn't an effort that came from the administration, but it was really driven by the young people at the school. So I think that was incredibly inspiring to hear about and to see um, because we got a chance to see that these these kids, these students weren't interested in it because it was something that um, leadership had told them they should be doing, but it was really mm -hmm. an effort driven from them. Um, and yeah, I think that that is why that, that gave me a lot of hope to know that the younger generation was taking a stand towards mm -hmm. reconciliation and unity. I like how you said that it impacted mm -hmm. you as well. Mm -hmm. um, so thank you for sharing that. Yeah, and, and the fact that you you say, oh, that uh, oh, it was, a, it was a touching. I mean, the fact that you shared this um, experience or feel the visit and, uh, you know, the panel, is there a reason why uh, you are specifically mentioning this example? Um, so I think those were the examples where I was directly witnessing the efforts of young mm -hmm. people in Rwanda. So a lot of my mm -hmm. study abroad experience had been like reading about efforts from young people, but then speaking with adults. Um, and mm -hmm. a lot of the other work that I did with Never Again Rwanda was about researching and writing and proposing ideas. But the instances where I was in the presence of young people um, and hearing mm -hmm. their words, 
I think that's why those events stuck out to me the most and touched me the most um, because I was witnessing it firsthand. Oh yeah, it's 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 very very great to hear from that experience. Uh, was there uh, at least some uh, something that resonated with uh, your previous experience before you go to Rwanda or your usual life in the, uh, in the school or with uh, that generation? You know, with your observations in the community where you were born. You know. Uh, was there any connection with uh, your, any of your previous of that experience? Do you, you mean like between experiences in my life and then what I yeah. witnessed in Rwanda? Yeah. Like what touched you, how you saw young people working, uh, you know, solving challenges of life. Did you connect it? Was there any, any connection between what? Uh, you've seen in your school community and what you are seeing uh, at the field work? Yeah, so I think um, I came from a community where young people were very involved in mm -hmm. social justice and activism. Um, the culture in my high school was very much one of standing up for causes. I remember mm -hmm. that we had like many protests um, for Black Lives Matter and environmental justice um, and so I think I've been very familiar with the idea that youth mm -hmm. can have a voice um, in activism and that often times younger voices are the ones that are most needed in activism um, mm -hmm. and so I definitely saw that reflected in Rwanda um, with the youth groups that we worked for and so I was really glad mm -hmm. to see that they had a platform at Never Again Rwanda um, and to see that like through events such as Youth Empowerment Day, like the United Nations Youth Empowerment Day, young people were directly getting to work alongside the government to come up with ideas for how to make the future one that they saw themselves in and one that, um, yeah, to make, mm -hmm. to make Rwanda's future one that reflected their mm -hmm. ideals. Yeah, so um, then, uh, you know, some people have expectations uh, when you go to, 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 to abroad for the first time. Was it your first time to fly outside of the United States? Um, no, it wasn't. So I had been in high school. I took a class um, on the history of the Holocaust and modern genocide. And as part of that class, I actually went to Cambodia for two weeks and mm -hmm. met genocide survivors and went to the memorials there. So I had been out of the US before, but my experience in Rwanda was the first time living outside of the US. So I definitely experienced mm -hmm. a great deal of culture shock more than I was anticipating. Would yeah. you would you like to share, to share that culture shock? It's, it's one thing to visit somewhere else, but it's, Another to realize that you're living there for an extended period of time. Um, and I think there's things that you don't necessarily pay attention to when you're just visiting another place. Um, and then mm -hmm. suddenly when you're living there, it's kind of impossible to ignore. Um, mm -hmm. So I think one of the main differences I observe between Rwanda and the US is that there's much more of a collectivist culture in Rwanda. So people have a, a stronger sense 
of community, I think, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Like, there's somewhat of an individual sense, but in Rwanda, mm-hmm. you really feel mm-hmm. how people work together um, and prioritize interpersonal connections over productivity in some cases. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I remember my program director telling us that it would be perfectly normal for our lecturers to be late because they bumped into a friend on the street. And that was the culture there. If you saw your friend, you had a conversation, you said hello, and it would be rude to dismiss your friend in order to meet a time deadline. Whereas in the US, people are very strict about their time schedules. Um, And so that was something that I found a little refreshing, honestly, just how prioritizing connections and even if mm-hmm. that meant like being a little late to a meeting um, was something that was completely normal. I see. I like yeah. that. Uh, yeah. uh, in social life, did you find like uh, easily, like do you have a friend and then uh, in your interaction with them, where were there any culture shock like that? Like some like, other examples of culture shock or of the people you met there? Yeah, I mean, um, so I had some friends who were um, university students in Rwanda. And mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure if there was a great deal of culture shock with them. I think mm-hmm. I did have culture shock living with a host family. So for the first two months that I was mm-hmm. in Rwanda, I lived with a family there. Um, and honestly, there were many more similarities than differences, but Mm-hmm. there were just little things like um at my house everyone ate dinner together um mm-hmm. and that wasn't necessarily the case there like I usually ate with the kids and then my host mom and host dad would come home late from work and eat separately um and so it was just like very small individual mm-hmm. family differences mm-hmm. but <laughs> I'm not sure if I could apply that to the whole country because mm-hmm. that was just one family yeah. experience and some families they they do have a, they do have that uh, uh, and i can understand that you know when you're coming from the the culture where those are practiced sometimes it's shocking mm-hmm. yeah and i think i mean the one very obvious difference is um mm-hmm. i had never been in a space where my skin color made me a minority before Um, and mm-hmm. so suddenly I was in a country where I very much stood out based on my skin. And I think that was an adjustment to get used to. Um, and I think mm-hmm. like it, it was a really important mm-hmm. experience to have. As my, my program director for my study abroad program was the one who helped us adjust and acclimate. And she told us that we would be representing their idea of what a foreigner or white person was and so it was mm-hmm. really important to make sure everyone's perception of us was positive um mm-hmm. i was representing mm-hmm. something larger than myself um in many of my interactions mm-hmm. and it was really important to be cognizant of my larger role other than just who I was as an individual. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So uh, maybe that also was a shock. Is uh, it shock or something that maybe you didn't uh, thought before? That when you when you go uh, in the other country, sometimes you represent more than yourself. Yeah, definitely. Um, I was not anticipating that beforehand, but I found mm -hmm. that people would ask me a lot of questions about America and the United States um, and questions I probably didn't have the answer to, but um, a lot of people would assume <laughs> that because I was from America, I knew everything about it. Um, and so I definitely, mm -hmm. suddenly, I suddenly found myself in a role of being America's spokesperson, <laughs> which I was by no means mm -hmm. qualified to do. <laughs> Did you feel like the people were quite friendly to you? Like, were you worried about being a minority? Was that, did you feel like oh, you were treated absolutely. fairly I and think, treated well? I um, think the people in Rwanda are the most friendly people I've ever met. Um, so I would get lost a lot and I could always count on being able to ask anyone in the street for directions. Um, and I felt, I think I felt safer walking around in Rwanda at night than I do in most cities in the United States. Um, I think that goes back to the collectivist culture I mentioned before, like people look out for one another. Mm -hmm. And yeah, mm -hmm. as, a, as a woman and as someone from the United States, I felt like very secure. Oh, that's great. Sometimes I worry about telling people that I'm American because I kind of get worried what they think of me and what they associate, you know, with Americans. And so um, that's really, that's really interesting mm -hmm. to know. Yeah. yeah, but but I think mo most, most people there were also inviting you in Paris, I guess. <laughs> uh, did you have this, have such experiences? In like uh, in the, you know, like uh, a birthday parties or some other gathering, family gathering. Where did you, ex uh, have you attended some of the, some of those gatherings? Oh, yes. Um, yeah, I had the opportunity to go to a birthday party with my host family. One of the cousins mm -hmm. was having a party. Um, and so that was a very fun experience. And then I also had an opportunity to go to a wedding. And in Rwanda, <laughs> weddings are a whole day ordeal, and there's multiple steps, and it's very festive. And so that was a great experience. And then I was also invited to go to church with my host family, too. And I found that to be a wonderful experience as well. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. so um, uh, I guess uh, uh, Risa might have some other questions, you know, the key questions, because she also plan to visit Rwanda soon. So, but my, my, my question was, uh, my, like, I'm curious to know, because some people, when you visit uh, a, a country for the, you know, when you go abroad and to visit certain country, there is what you expect and there is what you see when you are there. Uh, were your expectations different uh, with, uh, from your experience? How was it? So I, I honestly, before I went, I tried to have as few expectations as possible. Um, and that might sound strange, but I really wanted to just experience it all as it happened and not have this idea in my head of what it was supposed to be like. And so in that case, I think 
I was just pleasantly surprised by everything. Um, but something I was surprised by, and I, I think this stems from the narrative that Western media portrays of Africa, was that mm-hmm. just everything was so incredibly developed. Um, and some of the hotels and spaces I went to were nicer than anything I'd been to in the United States. Um, and I think that's something that's maybe glossed over in the media and there's not enough representation of development in um, in cities because Kigali is one of the most beautiful cities I've ever been to. Um, and it's stunning and clean. Mm. Um, and so that was not an expectation I had going in. Definitely something mm-hmm. I share with people now that I'm back in the United States. Oh, I see. Oh, oh so then then you went to Rwanda, so uh, I can understand that you, you didn't have a lot of uh, expectations. So I understood, uh, I don't know if Orissa had any other question about your experience in Rwanda then. Uh, yeah, what was, so what did your everyday life look like? So yeah, my everyday life um, depended, well, it depended on, so there were like two phases when I was working at the internship and then when I was a student so my life as a student um, was I think fairly structured I would wake up in my host family's house um, and usually the kids would have left for school so I would be alone I would eat my breakfast and then I would start the journey to my school building for the day Um, And so I lived in a part of Kigali called Kinombe, which was very far from um, where my school was. And we had to take the bus to get to school. So some days it might take an hour, some days it might take two hours, depending on how the bus was running. So I'd always leave the house pretty early. And then once I was at my school building, we would start our mornings with Kinyawanda class um, because we wanted to learn more about the language and be able to at least get by a little bit um, with Kinyawanda. And then we'd usually have site visits. So we would go to an NGO or a government building and then we'd have guest lectures come in the afternoon. Then I would return home and eat dinner with my host siblings. I'd usually help my younger host sibling with her English homework and she would help me with my Kinyawanda homework. So that was a fun exchange that we had. Um, and then I'd, I'd usually do some mm-hmm. some work, some assignments and go to bed. So it was, it was very structured. Um, and then when I was an intern, I had a lot more free time and flexibility. I was still working an eight to five hour shift, but then my afternoons were really my own. So during that time, I got to explore a lot more um, and visit cafes and galleries um, and markets and different mm-hmm. spaces around Kigali. Oh, that was wonderful. Uh, was it was your Kinyarwanda class easy? <laughs> no, it was it was very <laughs> challenging. Um, I think I know a few words in Kinyarwanda, but I definitely did not learn as much as I should have. I see. So you're talking about you're talking about the Kinyarwanda class, and then uh, you 
uh, and then your experience. Uh, then Arisa wanted to know your 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 every day, which I think you are responding to that. What was uh, your you know most remarkable thing that you enjoyed in Rwanda? Hmm. I don't know. It would be really hard to pick just one thing. Um, mm-hmm. I think yeah. I think maybe um, some of the site visits that I did when I was a student um, were incredible and have stuck with me to today. Um, one of them was um, the Courage of Women Cooperative, which is um, an organization founded by widowed genocide survivors and wives of imprisoned genocidaires. Um, and so we visited that organization, um, which I believe is outside of Butare and um, spoke to some of the members and learned about their process of healing um, and reconciling. And I think that was the first time that I learned how forgiveness was really an organic process and happened out of necessity, how these women were in their village without their husbands um, and had to lean on each other to send their children to school and to keep the farms and businesses running. And through that process, they fostered unity among each other. Um, and so I think that was really an incredible experience and something that the rest of the world can learn a lot from um, their model of reconciliation. And then mm-hmm. um, another experience that I had was meeting rescuers, people who had Um, saved others during the genocide and um, hearing about their strength and bravery um, I think was something that was just so incredibly inspiring and life-affirming and just allowed you to have a little more faith in humanity Um, and so those types of lessons that I learned while studying in Rwanda will stay with me forever um, and I hope to share them with as many people as possible. I just believe that Rwanda has so much to teach the rest of the world. Why do you think it's important to share it to the rest of the world today? Um, I think that, I mean, especially now, there's so much hatred and negativity in the world, and it's really easy to get caught up in that. But hearing about people who are able to risk everything to save others, or despite um like painful experiences are able to forgive one another i think that those types of lessons can just bring so much positivity yeah and they should the people should be interacting you know to bring that positivity out of uh, out of uh, you know some of the experience like that yes exactly um yeah so i believe like mm-hmm. focusing on on the positive and sharing those experiences that renew faith in humanity um, will only spread and multiply positivity. Lisa, do you have something about positive uh, experience again? Uh, we, we, we maybe talk about the teaching experience. But before that, I was wondering if you, if you would recommend other young people either from US or from other countries to 
travel uh, outside of their countries and if so why um, yes i i believe that everyone um should travel outside of their country at least once in their life i think that it's so important to mm -hmm. recognize that we are part of a global community and that the world is so much larger than what we see every day um and i think mm -hmm. people have so much to teach and learn from um to teach each other and learn from one another and i i don't think that can be done just by being around people from your own culture or your own community um i believe that learning from other cultures and experiencing other ways of life is incredibly important and can foster global mm -hmm. unity um yeah uh, of course you know learning from each other culture you know you know having that cross culture uh, experience uh, we mean that is important of course to also having the tolerance uh, towards diversity uh, so then you decided to be a teacher uh, after graduating from your college is it something easy is it is it an easy decision you you know to take was it was it a, a um, easy one no i it was not an easy decision um i wasn't sure exactly what i wanted to do um and being a teacher especially a first year teacher is um a very challenging job because um i have 30 students who rely on me to teach them about the world mm -hmm. and i feel the weight of that every day i know that what these children learn is dependent on how well i do my job and so it's not just a different career that you can um like dabble in you really have to be fully invested and understand that other people are dependent on you um and so that was a difficult mm -hmm. decision because i wasn't sure that i was the right person to do that job and that i would be qualified to help these these kids um and so i still have doubts but i work very hard each day because um i know that mm -hmm. i can make a difference in their lives and i can, i'm their mm -hmm. their introduction to education and so i want that to be a positive one and i want to set them up for a successful future i think that's really important like i know um i always struggled in school and I just remember some of my elementary teachers being so patient with me and taking that extra time and going the extra mile um, to make me feel loved and feel appreciated. Um, it really, you are doing really good work. And so thank you for that example you're giving to those children. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, so then uh, you say it's challenging and then uh, of course, uh, struggling uh, always, you know, to keep the, you know, to pray alone in their life. Uh, is there someone who motivates you to keep uh, uh, pushing uh, and work hard for it? Yeah, so um, honestly, my students are my biggest motivator because I see them mm -hmm. 
every morning and they always have smiles on their faces and we do like an, an SEL social emotional learning check-in every morning to ask how they're feeling and help them describe their feelings and they're always saying I feel so happy and so just just seeing them every morning um, and the joy that they have despite the circumstances that we're all in the pandemic um, just their positivity and their optimism mm-hmm. it's contagious mm-hmm. and it rubs off on me and it definitely keeps me going so anytime that I feel unsure of myself I think of them and um, it drives me to work harder mm-hmm. 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 Uh, uh, is there someone who will inspire you in your family uh, you know the reason why you think about that maybe is there something someone in the family that you say you know this one inspired me you know encouraged me you know in your life or today I think it's hard to pinpoint a specific person I think my family mm-hmm. as a whole is very supportive um and I know that you're mm-hmm. close with my mom and she's always someone who's supported me and inspired me she's definitely someone mm-hmm. who always looks for the positive in life um and so that's rubbed off on me and her outlook has encouraged me to try and understand when something goes wrong but to really focus on what goes right and affirm myself in those ways so she's definitely one of my inspirations uh talking about talking about you know seeing uh, positive uh, things in life um you know in the world around the world even here in the United States there are a lot of people Uh, who are struggling in the, you know in life um having uh, addictions uh, or having a, a family struggling you know relationship issues uh, how do you when you meet some of your friends who experience that what do you tell them or what what can you tell some of those people who will listen to this podcast i do have friends who have difficult family circumstances um, and who are struggling mm-hmm. at the moment um, and some of my my students families are in similar circumstances to that as well um, and so you know, it's hard I'm by no means an expert in anything but um, I think something that has always helped me um, and something I I try to tell other people is to just like dive into their inner strength because we're all so much stronger than we realize so actually something that might sound a little cheesy but it's very helpful for me um, and some of my friends have done this as well is to say daily affirmations Um, like I have mine written on my mirror and every morning when I wake up if I'm feeling confident or if I'm feeling like I don't want to get out of bed and face the day I can just say um, certain phrases that remind me of when I feel the strongest and when I feel the most capable um, and so trying to mm-hmm. remind myself of who I am um, and my areas of strength is something that just puts me in a mindset of confidence. Um, and so I feel like 
telling other people that, like noticing people's strengths when they're in a difficult place can do a lot of good. Yeah, thank you for sharing. So with the daily affirmations, do they change or or how how do you pick what you want to tell yourself? Yeah, so they do change sometimes. So it's usually what I most need to hear. Mm-hmm. At the moment, they're all focused on my job, but in the past, they've been about like how to be a good friend or how I want to show up in my classes. And so it's definitely something that I come up with when I I need to hear a certain phrase. And so they might change in the future. I like that. And Mm -hmm. probably a good place to have one of those daily affirmations. Um, I've seen people write those on their mirrors in their bathrooms. So when they get up, they see it. Uh, Where do you keep your daily affirmation? Just like on a note, a sticky note, like next to your bed? How do you see that every day? Yeah, so I I keep them on my mirror, actually, just like you suggested. Um, I have a post-it note that I stick on my mirror. Because there's something about, yeah, there's something about like looking at yourself and saying it that I find kind of empowering to myself. So thank you for sharing that with us. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that, that, that's, uh, do you have to practice every day? Do you practice when you feel uh, weak, uh, then you want to, uh, you know, to uh, awaken your uh, inner strength? Or how do you yeah, do that? Yeah, so it, it is um, something I do in the morning when I get up. So I, I look in my mirror and I see them um, and I say it, but then... Sometimes before um, I have to do something particularly difficult or where I might need a little extra strength, then I'll say it again. Um, and so sometimes like before I have to give a presentation or if I have a difficult phone call, I'll just write an affirmation that's maybe tailored towards that circumstance. And I'll say that right mm-hmm. before. And I think it applies not just for work, but for personal um context as well mm-hmm. oh, I like that yeah yeah so some people talk about the vision of life having a living a, a life with purpose uh, uh, do you believe in that I do definitely um, I believe I'm not quite sure what everyone's purpose is but I believe that we all have our own and it's up to us to realize it and live into it and I think that that can look mm-hmm. different for for everyone um and that really the only person who can decide your purpose is yourself and I believe that or at least my the purpose I would like to live into for my life is to help others and to try and make the world a more peaceful place so I want to devote my life towards that um and that's what I'm trying to do now in my work and will hopefully be able to continue doing for the rest of my life as well Mm, yeah. Thank you. Uh, so maybe my 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 last two questions. I was going to ask if you you have a, a daily rituals, like like the things that you do repeatedly on your day every day, and and what what keeps you know a happy a happy mood for you every day. Yeah, so my my daily routine. So right now it's 
quite different than any other routine I've ever had because I'm not leaving my house. Um, my whole mm-hmm. life is on a computer. So I wake up in the morning and I get ready for my day. Um, and then I log into Zoom and I teach virtually for the day. And then I usually spend my afternoon in meetings or calling parents, um, lesson planning. And then I try to do some form of exercise every day, which I find keeps me happy um, and keeps just keeps me focused and definitely gives me energy. And then I'll try and relax a little bit, try and read in the evenings, um, listen to some music, and then I just repeat day after day. I see, I see. Yeah, so you, you are a peace activist, uh, you're a teacher, uh, you like to, you like, you want to live uh, a, a life that, that, that will inspire a peaceful world. Um, do you find them, do you, do you find a moment of happiness and relaxing? In I life? do. Um, I, I think, as I mentioned earlier, um, like exercise is something that relaxes me. Um, and then also, I think talking to people I care about, I, especially right now when we're all so disconnected from each other, I make it a point to like have a mm-hmm. phone call with someone from my life um, pretty much every day um, to check in, see how we're doing, um, whether that's family or close friends. And I think that like taking the time to mm-hmm. hone in on those personal relationships and make sure that we're maintaining them despite the pandemic um, and lack of physical interaction um, mm-hmm. is really important to me. Um, and that's something that I find mm-hmm. relaxing as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there a reason that the world should learn from COVID? When I think of what the world can learn from COVID, I think a lot about the future of education. So right now I'm teaching four and five-year-olds on a computer um, and these kids are becoming so um, technologically advanced. Like they can log in, they can switch tabs, they can type before they can even write their name in some cases. Um, And I think that's incredible. And I think that like they are being set up to be so successful in a modern world that is driven by technology. Um, And so even when we do return to a classroom, I hope that we continue to foster those technology skills in kids. Um, And also I think we're seeing how we are able to stay connected despite distance um, through virtual platforms. And like, I think for example of people I learned from in Rwanda, like all of a sudden they're just a click away from a virtual classroom. So I think that the, the ways that we learn from each other can expand greatly um, given the platforms for learning that we see today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so people or, or, you know, young kids are being technologically updated and they also we keep our, our connection. You keep mentioning the, the like interactions. Uh, is there a reason why you kept mentioning that? Interaction between um, people? Yeah, I mean, I think that connection 
between people is one of the most important things that we have in this world. When we lose that, when we lose track of the role that we play in other people's lives, like that's when, um, like that's when we see hatred and negativity. Um, when we forget that our actions, whether we like it or not, impact others. Um, and so I think building and maintaining positive connections is one of the ways that we can um, foster peace and unity among people. So I guess that's why I keep going back to connection. So my last question is, um, you know, young people uh, uh, who will listen to this podcast, uh, some of them would say, yeah, we want things that which are not boring, you know, that are relaxing, uh, versus you who are talking about the necessity of, of you know, becoming activist for peace, you know, or, you know, building a relationship uh, between the, the, you know, the seasons of the world, uh, bring people together to, you know, to deconstruct the stereotypes and the differences, how do you want them? How, what's your message uh, for for people who listen to this uh, podcast to balance, uh, you know, the relax the relaxation time and then also uh, focusing on the things that matter in mm-hmm. this world? That's a tough question. I guess I would say, like a phrase that I I have to constantly remind myself of is that you can't pour from an empty cup. So. The work that I do, I can't do if I myself am exhausted and if I am uninspired. And Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. I see like the time that I spend relaxing as a way to replenish um, the supply that I have to give to others. So if I spend all my time giving and don't replenish that supply through a balanced lifestyle, then I won't be any help to those who I'm trying to to leave an impact on um so I guess I would say it's all about that balance really is so important um even though at times it doesn't feel like it like I know to mm-hmm. me sometimes it feels selfish to take time to relax but I I keep reminding myself mm-hmm. that I won't be helpful to the people I need to be helpful to if um I'm in a bad place personally yeah definitely so um... Uh, do you have a hobbies and then uh, do you have a, any future plan that maybe you would um, like to share? So in terms of my future plan, I'm not exactly sure what I want to do long term. I know that I want to stay. Um, ideally, I'd love to be in the intersection of peace building and education. Um, and I think there's a lot of overlap in those fields. I really mm-hmm. see education as a way to build peace because it can be such a powerful tool um, in terms of teaching kids how to think critically um, and to foster love and forgiveness instead of hatred. Um, and so I, I'm not sure if that means me being a teacher long-term or influencing education policy through a peace-based lens, um, but for now, I'm trying to learn as much about education mm-hmm. as I can so that I can apply it to peace building later on. Thank you for yeah. sharing. Any hobby you have yeah. in life? Um, my oh, hobbies? So thank you. 
so I've always um, ridden horses. That's been my my sport, I guess you could say. Um, in college, I was on the varsity team for riding. Um, so that's that's something I love to do. And then also, I love to read and draw um, and yeah, any type of art um, I'm very interested in. So those are some of my hobbies. Yeah. So thank you very much for sharing uh, uh, everything and for your time, um, Risa. Yeah, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. And um, I, I hope we can do maybe a follow-up episode um, sometime down the road. And because um, I really enjoyed getting to know you and speaking with you yeah, today. Thank you so much for having me. It was great talking with both oh. of you. Yeah, so thank you very much for sharing. Um, I think if uh, Risa come to Baltimore, <laughs> yes, now definitely. She has, uh, if you're ever in Baltimore, let me know. <laughs> yep. Yes, and if you're ever, <laughs> if you ever have the desire to come to Utah, you have a friend and a place to stay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You did a lot of uh, good work. There's a lot of inspiring uh, quotes. Uh, yeah, so thank you very much for, um, thank you very much, uh, Sarah Itzel, for uh, today's uh, uh, podcast. Uh, just to remind our listeners that uh, Sarah Itzel is a, a teacher uh, at Badmore. Uh, she was uh, sharing with her, us uh, her experience uh, in Rwanda, in her, pro- in her study abroad program and uh, the work that she uh, she had in Rwanda as as well as uh, her teaching experience. Uh, thank, thank you, you so very much, much for, for having your time. me. I really enjoyed this experience. Thank you. And if you, um, our listeners, have any questions or comments, um, our email is openbookinhistory at gmail.com. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.